welcome back to the Dr. Body Mind Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Jude, and this is a podcast which explores how we can integrate modern medicine and alternative therapies to help you get the holistic health care that you deserve. I will be speaking to healers and seekers, researchers and authors who will share their experiences and the evidence to help guide us all to holistic health. Let's do this. Today, I want you to meet Jen, co-founder of CFS School, a school focused on the mind-body connection to help people heal from chronic pain, fatigue, long COVID, POTS, and fibromyalgia, conditions that I know as a doctor there are no good solutions for within the medical system. And Jen knows this only too well herself. She, in fact, was training to be a physio when she became unwell, bedbound, in fact, with all sorts of unexplained symptoms. And she was told this was her new reality by medical, st- by medical specialists and colleagues. And it was then that she took matters into her own hands. It was on her own healing journey that she found what connected her symptoms and indeed held the key to a full recovery. And that was recognizing and working with the nervous system. She has now founded CFS School and within that developed a 12-week program, which has gone on to help hundreds, if not thousands of people with mind-body health conditions. And I can't wait to learn more about this approach. So hi, Jen. Hi, it's so nice to be here. It's really nice to be here because we're sat in a podcast studio together in Changu, Bali. Yes. And this was not our reality when we first connected just a few few months ago, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. Um in in over Zoom. Yeah. Um when we were both working and living in London. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're both here now getting to talk in person. And I'm super excited because as I mentioned in the introduction, CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome, is a condition which I certainly didn't learn much about in medical school and in fact if I'm really honest I think that there's quite a stigma about within the medical profession can you share your experience I mean first of all with the symptoms that you had but then also your experience with the medical um, profession Mm -hmm. what was that like for you oh thank you so much for sharing that um point of view and for asking me that. So when I uh, was a ballet dancer, that's like the the beginning of my career as an adult, I started to experience pain in my body that was not necessarily related to my training or my hours of work. You know, you work really hard as a dancer, but I remember getting home and like not being able to cook my my dinner, I would have like yogurt and just go to sleep. I'd always be very tired compared to my colleagues. And I thought that was my human experience. Jen gets tired easily. Jen has pain in her shoulder blades and her hips. And it's just like my human experience. 
And, but I was, because I experienced these things, I was always curious. I was like, why am I having this and not her or him? Why are we working the same hours and training the same hours? Why do I have this pain? Why am I always injured? So that's how I got into then becoming a yoga teacher, Pilates instructor, working with the body. And I had an ankle injury where I had to stop dancing. So I became really curious about like, why me? Um, my journey brought me to then want to become a physiotherapist because of this curiosity around injury and pain. And while I was studying physio, the pains got worse. And in my second year, one of my clinical experiences was in um, a clinic of fibromyalgia uh, and like why me right like no one else <laughs> was put in the fibromyalgia clinic just me and and we were seeing one patient after another and initially it was with uh, another physio and then on my own and what uh, I remember the, the end of day one I went up to the physio I had been bouncing off of. And I asked her, so I understand the approach and the questions and like the yellow flags, because you're, you're taught as a physio to this person is a yellow flag. And so we're going to put them in, um, in a box of their difficult. They're probably not going to comply, probably not going to do the exercises. It's probably their fault because of anxiety, depression, and fear around what's going on and social situation as well. Like, um, I remember them talking a lot about the, the socioeconomical situation of the person and how if they're in that box, and I don't know, like, is this pain real? Or, so what was being explained is, in short, it's probably partly made up. Like this is day one. Like we don't know if the pain they experience is real. So talk about stigma around this huge gaping gap that cannot be bridged in the medical system. Well, what I'm really hearing from that is that there was a recognition that symptoms yeah. were psychosocial. Yes or actually psychosomatic, I should say. Mm -hmm. And the conclusion from that mm -hmm. um, is that it's therefore not real. And also, I don't believe you. And also, it's your fault. And yet we bring them back to clinic without actually <laughs> addressing the question marks the, the mind body connection yeah. which is like okay so this is a somatization this is this person is experiencing their symptoms through their body they're, they're experiencing stress and expressing stress as physical pain how can we then get to the root of their stress which can be social and if i may i think that the the socioeconomical factor that is often brought into the conversation about the patient is not about their education. It's about the trauma they experience. People in these lower socioeconomical situations are often immigrants or they have a very 
difficult, like, I don't want to generalize, but the, their life experiences have been very layered and very um, difficult. And there's often, uh, like, in these cultures, there's not a lot of talk about mental health. And so there's a lot of suppression and re repression. So rather than it about being a lack of education, which in my opinion is very stupid because I'm sorry if I use that word, but I really do think it is. It doesn't matter the culture you're from. Uh, you know, there are education. Um, there is an opportunity for education everywhere. I really think it's the, and when we see this, it's the, it's the trauma. It's the level of trauma, the level of stress, of anxiety, of suppression, inability to uh, express the emotions and inability uh, to live these really uh, through uh, through modalities of, of therapy and healing that they don't have access to. Mm, that's such a great point. And actually it's, again, well-researched. We know yeah. that um, this is like works through mm -hmm. the ACE study. Yeah. So adverse, um, adverse childhood uh, adverse experience. Childhood experience. So we know that people who have, experience adverse mm -hmm. childhood events mm -hmm. which you were calling traumas mm -hmm. um so that's you know people who have uh been witness to domestic violence mm -hmm. who i mean there's so many there's so many um that are documented as and yeah. um, considered aces so we know that these people um go on to have more illness mm -hmm. chronic pain um chronic fatigue um, yeah. and yet still that isn't yeah. actually mm -hmm. recognized and mm -hmm. dealt with at source totally. within the medical system. Mm -hmm. So you decided, hang on, mm -hmm. this is not, this doesn't seem right. Your curiosity was, um, peaked, I yeah. hear. And then at some point you started to experience these symptoms that you'd already sort of been niggling with mm -hmm. much stronger. Yeah. I basically went home that night thinking, I think I have a little bit of this. I, I think I have, I've had anxiety my whole life. I used to stutter tremendously when I was a child and I was actually having for the two years preceding that moment, recurring low grade fever and I just thought, I'm the type of person who just has a fever when I'm tired, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I saw a lot of doctors and they were like, oh, maybe this is like a hidden urine infection. Maybe you just have UTIs. I'm like, I don't think I have UTI, <laughs> to be honest. But because I'm a woman and I don't know, they just were like, yeah, sounds like you have a, a silent UTI. And I was like, I really don't think I do, though. <laughs> Um, and other random stuff like that. But they were just trying to, like you said, like put me in some kind of like bracket because they didn't know what was going on. So I just like left, like when I would get this low grade fever, I was just like, oh, maybe I should rest. Maybe this is what's going on. Maybe I'm just like tired or something. And yeah, so then basically I like literally a couple months after this fibromyalgia clinic and I started to, it was the beginning of, um, of the pandemic, actually. Um, then one day I was doing yoga 
like I do, like I did every day. And, you know, as I was saying, this low grade fevers was happening, anxiety was peaking, pain in my shoulders and hips and calves, this achiness, which is so typical for fibromyalgia was happening. Um, and we moved house and we were in the middle of the move. It was like so many things piled up. And I was just doing a sun's salutation for anyone who doesn't know. You bring your arms up above your head, arch your back a little bit, and then come down on the floor. And in that arch moment, I heard like a, a crack in my spine and then like crazy radiating pain down my back. And that made me bed bound. And it was like a pain, a nerve pain that I'd never experienced. Like my whole body was stuck in this cage of nerve pain. And I was familiar with a portion of that as a dancer because I threw my neck out many times. And now I know if you want to talk about it, throwing your neck out is rarely about the movement you're doing or the exercise. It's always um, emotional, but we can talk about that another time if you want. Um, and then while I was bed bound with this radiating nerve pain, I started to get a fever on like day four and all of a sudden I had the worst flu ever and then I never recovered. And for a year I would be in that same position. I was bed bound and I lost like 10 kilos. I couldn't go to the bathroom. My partner had to carry me to the bathroom. He had to wash my hair, feed me. I couldn't speak uh, very much. Yeah, I was really severely ill basically and that's the beginning of that journey I don't know where you want to take it from there but wow so like you threw your neck out and that just is very intrigued by what you what you said because I am fascinated by how our body can speak to us I think through metaphor I think that that's often the language through which it's speaking um, and our neck is so key to ability so I'm really curious as to what your experience was with on what your uh what your insight is around the neck but also just coming back to reflecting about this experience that you had which is an acute injury an acute non descript injury causing some sort of spasm the medical profession some sort of spasm in the back leading you to um be immobile but what i'm also really hearing is a low-grade fever preceding profound fatigue and we really don't know i guess like at some point you know you were diagnosed with chronic fatigue and we really don't know the origins and there's so much controversy about the origin of chronic fatigue. Is it post-viral? Um, is it purely psychosomatic? Um, and it's probably neither of those things, but a combination of those things as well. Um, and I'm really curious about how you then, what practices did you try that helped you? And how did that then inform what you've created so today? To because the, what you've done is something quite extraordinary. Um, and, and I'm really curious as to 
how you have integrated the background of your physio, of your personal experience, of your yoga, your functional movement, what you've learned through your own personal story, because what you've done is brought, bring all that together from my understanding and how, what form has that taken? How do you integrate that in CFS school? So I'm going to start by the first thing you said, which is like the origin of concrete. Mm-hmm. And so here's kind of a way I like to explain it. So imagine uh, making a soup and in the soup, like for a carrot soup, you'd put uh, some onions, some garlic, some parsley, some carrots, um, and cook it like this is like a whole recipe and way of doing it. And then you have an outcome, which is the carrot soup. Chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, chronic pain, post-viral syndrome, post-concussion syndrome, endometriosis, chronic migraine, chronic back pain, chronic tendonitis, frozen shoulder, plantar fasciitis. I knew going, but I've given you idea in the different areas are different soups. And uh, the ingredients, there's a few similar ingredients. For example, um, you know, the core ingredient that they all have in common is attachment injuries. For anyone who doesn't know, attachment injury is the, so when we come, when we're born, our nervous system uh, and the way in which our interoceptive awareness, which is the communication of, um, of, body and the mind and the messages and the hormonal, the chemical, electrical messages that our brain and body are are sending to each other. And then you let me know as a doctor how all of this sounds, but um, this this messaging when we're born is, it's like we're learning. There's there's such a huge amount of our brain's ability to regulate that is not there yet. Our prefrontal cortex is still developing there's no like self-regulation yet there's no ability to understand and, and regulate our emotions so when we're born what we need to 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 develop a secure attachment with the world is a secure attachment with our primary caregivers which can be a parent or anyone else who's your primary caregiver and in that relationship, the essential ingredient is love. And it's not just love, it's unconditional love. And the outcome of unconditional love is worthiness. And the outcome of worthiness is you living a life that feels true to you, that is, uh, that holds the capacity for stress. And I'm not just, not just talking about psychological stress, I'm talking about physiological stress, such as um, getting uh, an infection, uh, having like an injury, like anatomical stress as well, like a physical injury. Um, Psychological stress would be um, like losing someone, grief or uh, like a a trauma that happens later on in life, uh, in our adult life or in our teenage life. When we have a secure attachment, with our primary caregivers, we have a big window of tolerance. And we can 
get Lyme, we can have a concussion, we can be exposed to mold, we can have a poor-ish diet, like, you know, like a diet that maybe isn't optimal and still be pretty freaking healthy. But what a secure attachment gives us is the ability to like thrive, not just survive. And thriving is essential to our health. So that's the first ingredient of the chronic illness soup. Um, A attachment that is not secure, whereby we learn as children that we need to do something in order to cope. Uh, For example, uh, we need to achieve in order to feel a level of of, um, of feeling accepted. So that conditioning can start really early where you're trying to prove yourself. And it starts with proving yourself to your parents, but then it extends to the world, proving yourself to society. It's where you get wrapped up in cultural um, just... I don't want to call it oppression, but more like if I don't do this, I'm not worthy. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's the base. Then throw in a little bit of Epstein-Barr, like mononucleosis, and then maybe you you get bitten by a tick, and then maybe you uh, move to a house that's really moldy. So those are some of the ingredients. And then let's say fibromyalgia is a chicken soup. And let's say that chronic fatigue is a carrot soup. So in the chicken soup of fibromyalgia, you have elements that trigger the pain factor that awaken the, um, a common example is you have a back injury and then that pain just stays and like it doesn't go away. And it's not the back injury. Like our back, our spine is so, so strong, right? And our muscles in our back are so responsive, like they're made to move and lift and do. And and so when that pain keeps coming back, there's nothing actually wrong with the back. It's a neural pathway uh, that has been formed where the it's like the body and the brain have found like a weak link almost. And they're like, whenever you're triggered, let's switch on this pathway of pain. So that's an example of an ingredient for someone with chronic back pain um, or fibro. Uh, an example with someone, an ingredient with chronic fatigue is having had viruses such as, um, but like the virus alone is not enough because so many, like most of us, right, have mono. We don't even know it. We do like a blood test and we're like, oh, cool. I guess I have antibodies. I didn't know I have Epstein-Barr. Whereas for some of us, we get Epstein-Barr or mono and it's really severe and we're ill for like six months and it drags. So there is a, um, a basic theory that we operate under, which is um, aside from everything we said so far, is that physiology responds to feeling and thought. Uh, which is, as you said, the mind-body connection. And we see the nervous system, the nervous system as the orchestra director and all the other systems as a very vital and important part of the orchestra. When the nervous system as the orchestra director is not sure what he's doing and is giving signals that are um, 
out of sync, then the individual systems like the uh, endocrine, the um, the uh, lymphatic, all the other systems start to um, to respond out of sync, and there's no harmony, and there's now um, there's no balance. So uh, everything I've shared so far um, is kind of saying that our body has a language and our mind has a different language. The language of the body does not, it doesn't speak the same language of the mind. It speaks the same language of the brain, but not the mind. And because both the language of the body and the language of the mind are essential to illness and wellness, we need to learn how to help them communicate. The body moves at the speed of water, and the mind moves at the speed of light in this kind of paradigm. And so the mind and the brain, sorry, I'm just giving you even more context. So when I share what we do, it's like, oh, of course, that makes sense. If I just share what we do, you might be like, I have more questions <laughs> based on our paradigm. So um, when we, um, so the brain, the mind, the mind is a meaning making machine and the brain is an energy saving organ. So meaning making and energy saving does not really beg for let's pause and think what's going on here. This situation is triggering, but he's not my dad and she's not my mom. So I can respond in a different way. And I'm not seven anymore. I'm 37. So, well, good, right? No, the brain scans the environment and it's like, boop, this is what I normally do. Boop, this is what I normally do. Until we interrupt that process, our seven-year-old nervous system is our forever nervous system. So this is why, and it sticks because it's an energy-saving machine. It doesn't, um, it doesn't care about pausing, reanalyzing, finding the best way. All it cares about is survival. So given that this is the way our nervous system works, the interaction with, with the body is there's something going on in the body that is trapped or stuck or an emotion that we're not feeling or experiencing. The interoceptive messaging is discomfort and dis-ease. The mind needs to make meaning of it. And it does all, all sorts of things uh, from anxiety to depression to spiraling to ping pong kind of um, just like speeding up or slowing down where it shuts down rather than being in the middle and feeling comfort. So this message, because the brain communicates with the body, the mind is like, the brain is like, okay, I get that message. Let me translate it to the body. But the message coming up into the mind is not really accurate. So the message that's going back into the body is being communicated through hormones and through the nervous system. So cortisol and stress hormones are like free for all. And as we know, the body, when there's too much of that, the body does not respond well. It, it gets um, actually really toxically affected by hormones of stress. And that's where there's this window of tolerance. And when we're out of it, there's like the, the safe zone, the, the balance, the connection zone, and then there's the symptom zone. And when we are out of sync and the brain and body, uh, the mind and body are not communicating, there's this miscommunication happening 
we're in the symptom zone and super activated and just um, we're stuck really. So this is where people are when they come to us, where I was like stuck in a cycle where how can I interrupt this to be well? So I'll start from what I discovered on me and then what we do. So I'm going to pause there. Do you, do you want to ask anything or share anything before I, I go into that? No, I think it just might be worth um, clarifying this um, this distinction between the brain and the mind. Yes. I don't think that's necessarily obvious. Um, although, you know, to those who may not have really contemplated the, the, the difference there. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hearing from you that you distinguish mm-hmm. the brain and the nervous system from the mind. So the brain being the anatomical structural mm-hmm. form that um, we typically know of that is encased in our heads and then <laughs> communicates through our spinal cord into our organs, mm-hmm. carrying and transmitting lots of neurotransmitters, which are essentially um, very actively uh, telling the brain if we're if our body senses mm-hmm. a, a, a dangerous stimuli and vice versa. The mind, the mind, I mean, there's philosophers who spend their whole lives pondering about what is the mind, um, where where is the mind? And I guess what I'm really hearing from you is the way that you interpret the mind is the part of us mm-hmm. that is making meaning mm-hmm. in the interaction between the brain and the body. Yes. So I just thought it might be worth just giving space to the difference between body and mind and just giving a little bit of a window into ponder what what is the mind and where is mind and I would say that that seems to be the meaning making machine as you really well well describe it actually which is trying to make sense of the of what's going on in the body um and as you say the the neural pathways that are formed so early on in life Mm -hmm. um are 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 formed because we need to make habits Mm -hmm. and because it's an energy saving saving uh uh, organ Mm -hmm. so it's these shortcuts these neural pathways exist to conserve our energy so we form neural pathways Mm -hmm. and we form um these these circuits so when this happens we are going to do this to save us energy so that we can actually get on in life and glow um however if those neural pathways have formed at a time of of acute stress in our lives um during for example an adverse childhood event or an interrupted important core attachment then these circuitries are going to be dysfunctional in some way. Functional in the short term, dysfunctional in the long term. And this is often what we see as being expressed in in the mind-body illnesses that we're discussing. I love that. Yeah, I mean, the mind. (laughs) Literally, people spend their whole life. Where, what, how, why? Um, Yeah. And yeah, so... So basically, given this theory, you know, because it's, um, I say theory because although uh, I've done it, other people go through this paradigm and it works, you can't really 
in this day and age until it's on paper unfortunately it's like it's a theory uh i, I think it's, i think it's a great one <laughs> it really helps understand uh in in some ways what's happening and it's becoming much more established so we've got scientists yeah like for example candace pert mm-hmm. uh, she's been so inspirational mm-hmm. to me developing psychoneuroimmunology and yes. i guess it is and, you know, it's that translation mm-hmm. of these theories into, you know, in, into a sort of mm-hmm. more in-depth understanding um, as to what is going on mm-hmm. biochemically and mm-hmm. physically yeah. um, that really helps us speak the same language. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, an esta- it's, it's, a really, it's an emerging established um, theory. Yeah. So the recovery starts, you know, what we've seen is most effective and what worked on me and then how we, we developed is um, when we're stuck in this shutdown uh, and we're in the midst of a crash of whatever chronic illness and people can be stuck in this crash for 20, 30, the rest of their life years. So it's not like time heals. It's not like rest heals you know when they say oh just rest no like rest isn't going to do anything other than just perpetuate your symptoms and maybe make you uh even more in your head than you already are because when you rest you're like really why am i not better what's happening and just gives you more anxiety makes you worse so a more active approach on this is so because we're talking about the nervous system and neural pathways that are established and that now have reached a peak speed of like it's almost like you're constantly in um in a state of threat so now it's not only being triggered when you know you're stressed or at you're like your body is perceiving threat 24 7 so you're stuck in a state of fight or flight or freeze. So the first step is tackling the mind because the mind is what we have direct access to, right? So the mind is how we think. If we go to the body with our mind, without understanding our mind, you're going to like hit a wall. So the first point of access into the body and into this circuit that's in like a, a repeat crash cycle is through the mind. So looking at our beliefs like what what words are we saying to ourselves what thoughts am i having what uh what's happening in my mind really because there's what's in our conscious awareness and what's below our conscious awareness implicit and explicit is another way of, of seeing that and when i first did brain retraining and i was completely bedbound had no energy if i stood up my fever would go up after a couple hours i would get a cough, I like a actual like uh, phlegm in my lungs. Uh, I would have even more pain. It's called post-exertional malaise, and it's after any exertion of energy, you have even more loud symptoms. And after any kind of exertion, I would have severe post-exertional malaise. So when I started doing brain retraining, and they said, "Yeah, just do this thing," and then get up and walk around the house. And I was like, what, but how, what, what do you mean? Five minutes ago, like, and then it's through this, the understanding of neuroplasticity that there's these circuits that are happening. If you interrupt and use new ones, instantly your physiology can respond instantly. It doesn't have to take years or 
uh, weeks or months, like instantly, obviously you go back into the path most used because uh, neurons that fire, fire together, wire together. But if you repeat, repeat, repeat with a certain intention behind the repetition and intensity, it works. So at the beginning of my brain retraining, I did the lightning process and the lightning process is founded by Phil Parker. It's a great brain retraining program. Um, but in my opinion, it, um, it wasn't enough and it's often not enough. And the reason is because it's a very top-down approach and there's the top-down approach is when you do mind to affect the body and bottom up is when you do body somatic work to affect the mind and our thoughts. And when you only do one, like only somatic experiencing, only, only body work, do you think our mind's going to listen to what you're doing? No. When you only do one, do you think our body's going to listen? No. So, um, so the brain retraining is basically a practice where you become aware of your thoughts. You hold space for them. So at CFS school, we use a trauma-informed approach whereby we're not interrupting and suppressing the thought. We're becoming curious, like anthropologists. Jones, love the word, yeah. <laughs> and we're like, what's going on here? Okay, I'm having this thought. Just pause for a moment. What, what, what would it be like if I had this thought instead? And the way in which we do that thought, do the other thought, notice I'm using a different language. It's called active language. So I don't have a thought, I do a thought. I don't have anxiety, I do anxiety. I'm not bored, I'm doing boredom. And active language helps give you choice. So if I'm just bored, what choice do I have? If I'm doing boredom, I can choose not to do boredom. And sort of decide, it's sort of disidentifying with our thoughts. Yeah. And how can I do a different thought, which mm. will impact how I feel the state in my body. So mm. this whole brain retraining is the idea that a thought creates a state in our body. Like if I'm constantly thinking, um, I'm failing, I'm bad. I, you know, just these kind of, we're going to feel that we're going to feel super freaking bad in our body. And then we're going to feel the stuff in our body that is in response to our thoughts. So through these interruptions and holding space for what's there without suppressing, which is how we get there through the, the trauma work and the bottom up work to address those, um, we start to have an increased window of tolerance. So I was severely ill, and after three days, I went for a 10-minute walk with no post-exertional malaise. I had no, no sore throat for the first time in the year. My fever went away. Um, my phlegm, like, I, I don't even know how to explain it because with physio, I studied phlegm, and I did not study how phlegm, like, disappears in three days, you know? It's mind-blowing. And so I was like, okay, I want to study this like now. I wasn't yet recovered, but I was like, I need to become a practitioner in this, whatever this is. So I like immediately started studying how to be an NLP practitioner, a hypnotherapist, all those modalities of the mind down. Um, and then I found a degree of health and I was like, wow, I was like, I'm pretty well now, but then I would get uh, triggered and I was like crash again what am I missing something's missing here like I'm changing my thoughts I feel like I'm there 
but then my body, I would run into someone that was unexpected or without my mind having the time to, my body would just, and then I was like, okay, something needs, to, like, what is the core? What is the root? Because sure, I can change my thoughts, but if you're not changing the root, like we were speaking of earlier, your body's still going to respond regardless of the thoughts. You, you could be having beautiful thoughts, but if you're not addressing the root cause of why your body's still being activated, you still can fall back into a crash. I'm going to pause because I do. What would, do you want to share anything or ask anything or should I keep going? No, keep going. I think okay. keep going. I think this, I think getting to the root cause yeah. is mm-hmm. something that it's true. Like there's, because there's so much going on subconsciously all the time that we can't control um and so yeah I'm really curious I'm I'm, yeah I'm really curious about how you how you get deeper yeah so brain retraining is a step one then uh whilst you're doing the brain retraining you start to because what often happens is as we're working with the mind our mind becomes it like reaches a new level it's like you're trying to change my beliefs hell no it's like that um it's made to because it's an energy saving making meaning meaning making machine organ mind brain thing happening it's like when you challenge it it's like it's too much energy i'm just gonna up my game and become really anxious and so what's common is when you start the work your, your symptoms can get worse your anxiety can increase because you're challenging the beliefs, the circuits can become even stronger and more stressful. So that's why we integrate it like week two, three, the polyvagal work, which is accessing the body. Mm-hmm. So um, using somatic tools that help kind of passively, I would say, because it's not really not actively like, hey, vagus nerve, nervous system, can you do, you're just like using your body and how the body responds to touch and your hands, all the nerve endings in the hands, how you can use those um, responses in the body uh, to trigger a bit of distraction. So the nervous system, like you're challenging my beliefs, but you're also like pulling me in a direction now where I, I'm not too bothered about increasing the, the belief game. I can kind of go with what you're doing so well I guess like the what I'm really hearing is like when you're challenging your ego so our, the ego is the part of us which is fully identified with who we are and for many people who've had symptoms and psychosomatic symptoms um, for a long time become identified with this and that's also because their doctors <laughs> may be playing a part in this to say this is actually how it's going to be for you um, so there's always a payoff to the symptoms that you're having and a lot of that subconscious. Um, your work is really giving a window into our minds to really interrogate those um, thoughts. When we challenge our identity, we're very attached to our identity so the ego can be really resistant to any form of change. And what I really hear from what you're saying is when our ego is feeling challenged, our body can then respond in a very stressed way. And you're giving tools that actually work with the body to calm the resistance down, 
situation allow for a disarming of the ego to almost create safety in the body for the ego to disarm disarming the ego i i love that i'm gonna tattoo that on my forehead disarm the ego <laughs> i love that i am jen please don't please I disarm don't. The ego. <laughs> oh my god i'm obsessed with that line oh beautiful that that's yeah that's it pretty much and so in disarming the ego through these body practices people start to experience a degree of change that is a bit more sustainable because when you work with the mind it's very tiring and when you have chronic illness and you're using that brain energy it can be tiring so using the body to help the mind in this way gives us more tolerance for the mind exercises that we're doing because now there's not as much resistance we're not running in water we're like running in air and now it's like we can move faster and so changes start to really stick and all of a sudden you're waking up and you're like really aware of what's happening in your mind and know how to help the body so the stress response is not quite as um as high for some people this work is enough to reach a very high level of recovery already. It's just how deep are the triggers? How powerful are they? And how easily can you fall back into your circuits? So this is where the, um, the root cause work is so important. So the next stage of, uh, of the healing is to invite uh, the idea of the somatic experience. So what is the language of our nervous system? What is the language of our body? How can we learn it? How can we become familiar with what feeling feels like? A lot of us um, dissociate, whether it's anxiety, like most people, you think if you're anxious or you feel a lot, no, when you're anxious, you check out. That's why the alarm stays in the body. When you feel the, the, feel the alarm, it becomes less loud and it's like, oh, actually you're listening and I don't have to be as loud now because you're connecting with me. You're... So the somatic experience starts with um, a little bit of uh, kind of like um, a interaction of parts work, inner child work, and then pendulating states of, the body and what really that all means is creating a resource an emotional resource that is powerful enough that we can kind of pendulate into the trigger resolve it and move back out in a way that we are not affected and where we don't crash so this work looks like sitting with learning how to sit with emotion and learning like okay so here's the symptom it's a pain it's in my back i've done all the all the mind work i know when it gets louder i know how to interrupt it a little bit but like it kind of keeps coming back so what's beneath the pain what is the emotion that is clinging on to the pain it, like my colleague cardin says like a grilled cheese sandwich it's like when you eat the sandwich, as Cardin says, um, 
you're eating the whole thing. Like you, you're not mm, cheese, ham, bread. It's like, this is the overall taste of the grilled cheese sandwich, the pain. When you uncouple the pain from the emotion, all of a sudden the brain forgets about the pain. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't care about pain anymore. Now we're like, now we're there. Now we're holding that emotion. Now you're interacting directly with what's causing the circuit. So, you know, at the origin of the emotions that are usually beneath the symptoms and the immune dysfunction and like allergies, like hay fever or IBD or IBS or SIBO or like these things, it's usually anger, fear, and beneath that is usually an, a need that's unmet, which is usually love. Mm, that's it. My jaw just dropped. <laughs> For anyone that didn't see that, my jaw just dropped. And it was just like, because I was like thinking, well, what's under, like, what's, what is the core relationship to all of these emotions that seriously thinking? Is it sadness? Is it, is it, is it loss? What you're seeing is it's like a disconnection from love, which is very much what Gabamatic is, is all about. It's like this, and this is why what you were saying around attachment mm-hmm. as being a common experience. Integral. An integral mm-hmm. part experience mm-hmm. within people who are suffering from these particular mm-hmm. diseases. That's so profoundly beautiful but mm. actually underneath the pain because the pain as you say mm. is like this blanket response mm. to like I'm not happy like it's, it's just it's just pain it's like mm. just like an, an alarm it's mm. an alarm it's mm. our body's alarm mm. but we have to feel it to heal it and so you have to yeah allow yourself to feel the pain and what's underneath and so, yeah, it feels so profound that mm. really underneath, and we keep on asking mm. that question of what's underneath the anger mm. and what's underneath mm. And let's go there. Mm-hmm. And I'm really hearing, wow, it's... And the connecting link between fear, anger, and love is pain. It's like people will usually, underneath the fear, will feel an inner child that's sad and grieving. and And it's like... Why is that happening? The fear, the feeling of being unsafe. What's behind, like, it's always pain. And like that pain is the unmet need of unconditional love, which gives us that uh, foundation for health. Which gives us that foundation for health. Unconditional love gives us that foundation for health. Mm -hmm. It all comes back to that mm-hmm. wow Please. yeah so uh the thing is you can't tell someone like it's love you, you need them to realize it so we take you through a journey of how to get there and then when you realize it for yourself then it's like how do i repair how do i it's more than reparenting it's like restructuring your nervous system mm. rewiring the experience of the whole self we take a parts approach Parts work is is looking at how all these coping mechanisms have come up and how we have s- survived. It's, it's really a, you know the 
chronic illness is a sign of resilience, of strength. It's like you didn't have the tools to cope and you adapted in such a way where you're still alive, you're surviving, and your body is desperately just telling you, you know, we've got this, you can do it, but I need you to change something for us to to like live your best life. Thrive. Yeah. Mm. So the healing happens. Yes, you wake up in the morning and you're hit with something. And usually it's fear. Usually it's at the beginning, it's like a sense of disease, anxiety, pain, something, and you usually scan it. But because you have the brain retraining tool now and the polyvagal tool, you can like slow that process down to the point where you wake up and you're fully aware of what's happening and you're like, ah, I can play around with my mind. I can give it a different experience. But then that's not enough. You need to immediately connect like this 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 disease that comes up in all these ways is my inner child that needs to be met with the need that was unmet. So you create resources through inner child work, through um somatic experiencing practices uh, through 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 parts work through true self work you create these super powerful emotional physical states which are just resources which really 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 mean a state in which you feel um, that you have enough tolerance to kind of go in and speak and feel your inner child and kind of give her what or him what they need and so the whole work the root cause work is providing that part of you that has that need that's unmet which is essentially uh love through all these practices and giving yourself love it's not straightforward most people will say i don't have access to self-love like i don't know how to do that so all these practices help build a sense of wholeness. There's no bypassing. There's no, um, there's no quick fix. There's no, uh, there's no gaslighting yourself because a lot of these therapies can have a tendency to like gaslight what's happening because like neuroplasticity, if you think something else, it'll happen. Like, no, that's not entirely accurate. You need to sit with the discomfort you need to feed, you need to feed the hungry child. Like the, the child is hungry for love and you create the resources to give that to yourself. So it's just from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, it's a um, way of moving through life in a different way whereby you're now listening to the need that's unmet. You're not um, subconsciously, implicitly bypassing yourself. Um, and you're now listening and feeling. And the, uh, the, that act of listening and feeling creates an experience of safety. And when we're safe, we can do anything we want. And when we connect and, and just to wrap it up, the end kind of the final part is how do we use this? Like, how do we then emerge? It's called the emerge practice. How do we emerge as such? Like how do we emerge as a, a person who can, who can self love and connect to our true self and our truth 
and do what we want to do in life. Like, how do we do that? So there's a bit of like a manifestation. And for anyone who's listening, who's like manifestation, manifestation is purely the act of repeating a thought and a feeling enough times where it becomes safe enough to take action. Say that again for anyone else who may want to hear that again. Thinking and feeling something enough times where it starts to feel safe enough for you to take action. So, you know, you think that's the life I want. The reason why you're not doing it is because it's so far away that it feels unsafe. But if you start to practice the feeling and the thoughts around having that life day after day after day, moment after moment, your body starts to become accustomed to maybe it's not that far off from maybe. And then you start to take action. You start to look for jobs that might be in a different country. You start to look for therapies that could support your, what if I left this job or what if I changed my life? What if, and then all of a sudden you're like living that life and it's pretty like incredible. And when you're living that life, chronic illness, who? Like pain, who? Chronic fatigue, who? Why? And this is not to say that your experience of chronic illness is not real and true and powerful and life-changing and horrible and griefful. It's just to say that with the right tools, you can get to the root of it all and help yourself transform your life. And I just want to, I mean, that's so powerful. And I just want to sort of reference what we sort of spoke to before we started recording this podcast, which was, this true self-work that comes at the root cause of these chronic illnesses is really soul work. Yeah. It's like actually what's driving you. And so often I believe, you know, our chronic illnesses are speaking to us in a language that our bodies are understanding to try and move us into the direction of our soul, waking us up to what isn't working forcing us to pay attention when our thoughts have been ignored. Um, And so actually it's really interesting to be ending this conversation with sort of talk of manifestation into Mm -hmm. dream life, Mm -hmm. job, you know, um, living, because I think that that's a lovely way Mm -hmm. to frame like actually the body, mind, soul connection Mm -hmm. that is really um, key Mm -hmm. to living a truly healthy, thriving, vibrant um, life. Um, So I just want to say thank you so much for this conversation, for this connection. Um, I want to also um, make sure that you can find Jen everywhere. So tell us where can we find you on Instagram? She's very active. You know, Jen's got an amazing profile on Instagram and is really showing up a lot um, around showing us practical um, somatic practices that we can adopt uh, very simply uh, through through our body. Um, often I see uh, derived from practices like Qigong, um, so Eastern practices which are bringing us back into awareness of our body and, uh, and allowing us to move energy, um, which, you know, chronic fatigue is, of course, you know, low in. So it's really lovely to be bringing these practices in. So um, tell us, where can we find you? Um, so my Instagram is jcamelee, uh, 
J-C-A-M-Y-L-E-E. I made it up 10 years ago, never changed it. Don't even know why I'm called that, but it's stuck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then from there, the link in bio has the website for, you know, for anyone who's interested in CFSCO. I have a free free brain retraining somatic practice on my link in bio, which can be really useful to help you find a pocket of safety in your day that can help you feel grounded and um, an opportunity really for your mind and body. Um, yeah, everything is there really. You can find the websites, the offerings and just the education and my Instagram. Yeah. I really, I really love being able to give just free stuff, like practical stuff that you can use on yourself uh, and it's just a small part of the work, but I think it's the most accessible. You can't really do this work with someone over, but you can show people practical um, exercises for your nervous system that are really, really, really helpful. Mm. I found them very helpful in my work with myself and um, clients and patients. Yeah, mm. And it's really not as if there are any Western solutions to, um, you know, symptoms of anxiety beyond, for example, diazepams and, um, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So like, this is super interesting and super helpful, really super helpful. So thank you so much. The details of all, all the contacts um, uh, will be in the show notes. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Jen. Thank you. Thank you for listening, Body, Mind, Soul Seekers. If you want to connect with trusted alternative therapists, learn more about what they do and how they can help you, check out my new holistic healthcare platform, The Witchy Women. Or if you are a holistic healer that wants to serve and help more people, book in a discovery call with me. Find more details at thewitchywomen.com. To show your support for this podcast, please share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Thank you all so much. Until next time.